This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. Paul, another elder here, teacher, pastor of those online. Hello, thank you for being with us this morning. Take out your notes, take out a Bible. We're going to jump into things this morning. Bibles are located in the seats in front of you. Perfectly, you received a set of notes when you walked in. Water. You needed to live, don't you? Uh, too much and it will kill you. Isn't that weird? There's a line there, isn't there? I have to have water to live. My body needs water. I must consume water on a regular basis. But if I have too much water in my body, I'll die. A line, a tension, a tolerance, if you will. As we were reading about floodwaters, maybe we're reminded of places throughout our country that are dealing with mighty floodwaters. Around St. Louis, Kentucky, I heard the message from the governor of Kentucky on Friday talking about what the death toll is and what the devastation has been. Entire houses just wiped out. I like a little bit of water that does a little bit of damage. Homes just gone. Families trying to find loved ones. Cell towers down, electrical down. And in the midst of that, a water problem. Because you can't drink the water. It's bad water. It's not good water. They need good water. But they're surrounded by water. There's a line, there's a tension. I bring that up because we're in the midst of this series on love. Divine, godlike love. Agape is the word in scripture. It means devotion to the other. Commitment to somebody else. And maybe you're like, man, we're going to be in this chapter forever. Just like one word a week. We're going to be here until Jesus comes back. I assure you we're only going to be in this for three more weeks and then we're going to move on to something else. Um, End of August, we're going to do a real short series to get us ready for the fall, calling Back to Basics. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments and Ethics, and it's going to be exciting. But we only have a few more weeks here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we talk about, as we talk about love. Um, and I'm not going to do a lot of deep review. You can go to whoishouseontherock.com, and you can listen to other messages. But this is the best way to live. This is the only way to live that has meaning and matter. And love is an action. It does things. You can recognize, and there's things that love doesn't do. But some of you have started to write me, Paul, it sounds like you're pulling your punches a little bit. Your kind of love sounds kind of loosey-goosey. Like you're just supposed to let people get away with stuff. Let them walk all over you. I assure you, love does not pull its punches. Divine, biblical love draws lines. There is a tolerance. There is a tension. We're going to talk about that today. So if you would take out your copy of the scriptures. 
We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as I have before, I'm going to read just the first line ahead of that just to get us into it. Just to set it up and help us remember. You know what a tension is, right? When something's at tension. You have muscles that exist in tension and unresolved tension. You have biceps and you have triceps and they exist in a tension and you cannot resolve it. You don't want to cut away the tension because that's what enables your arm to work. You have quadriceps, you have hamstrings. That's what enables your leg to do it so you can walk and be balanced. There has to be a tension, an unresolved tension that must be maintained in your body. Tension is a good thing. Some of you are like, I don't like drama. Well, welcome to family. Mr. Bill's playing the guitar. My son over here playing the bass guitar. Those strings exist in tension. A maintained tension so that the music is in pitch and it sounds the way that it's supposed to. To remove the tension would make the music sound bad. We're going to see that divine love, there's a tension between two things, pairs of things. There's a tolerance Tolerance, not the way the world defines it. Tolerance, the way Oxford and the Bible defines it. A camel can function in the desert because of its tolerance to heat. But there is a point where it's more than the camel can handle. You talk about a tolerance point for metal or certain elements. I mean, it can withstand a certain resistance up until a point, And beyond that, something else will happen. Divine love, there's tolerance. So as you look at your notes, we're going to look at six pairs of words that exist in tolerance and in intention. So that we can love others better. So that we can love God better. So we can understand what love really is. First okay. Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. I'm going to, we'll get into what we are looking at. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so I can remove mountains, I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, if not devoted to others, I gain nothing. This love, agape, it's patient. It's kind. Does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. And then today, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Read that verse again. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. We're going to look at six pairs. And prayerfully, the mature person walking in devotion in God love feels tension. To be in relationship with someone in a God-loving type of way means there's tension in the relationship. There's tolerance points. Devotion, biblically expressed, must wisely discern where I am within these pairs. To ignore these tensions is to choose to be unloving. 
To ignore these tensions is to choose to be unloving. So let's look at them together. In your notes, let's write something down. Our first tension. There is bad and there is good. There is bad and there is good. I'm going to do my best in this message to smile more. I was told in the first hour that was a little heavy. I figure if I smile more, that'll make the medicine go down easier. Right? Doesn't that feel better? Right? Okay, sinners. <laughs> there is bad, there is good. The passage here says we don't rejoice in wrongdoing. This is a general term. It refers to the, to the things that are done and the things that are done to us. And it doesn't celebrate when something bad happens to somebody. You've ever, have you ever done? No, you've never done that. You've never done that. Yeah, they, I'm glad they got pulled over. They're a jerk. Yeah, I'm glad their tire went out. They took all the coffee. Okay. Love, devotion does not rejoice at wrongdoing. When something bad has happened to somebody, it doesn't celebrate that. Nor does it celebrate when somebody does something that the Bible says is wrong. A bunch of jocks getting together in the locker room to talk about who did what and celebrate what happened with a cheerleader is wrong. Is wrong. It does not celebrate when something wrong has been done. It could be wrong at a corporate level. It could be bad at a systemic level. It could be bad at an individual level. As we battle brokenness at all levels of our being. Because there are bad things within our mind. There are bad things within our body. To be devoted means to recognize that there is such a thing as bad. And it hurts, and it destroys, and it breaks. But there's also good. It rejoices with the truth. And that word truth means good, as God intended, as God created things to be. Things that exist within balance. Things that conform to life and life-giving. And through the whole Bible, this tension exists. There's this tolerance point where some things are bad and some things are good. Israel is admonished. Walk in the good. Walk in the things that give life and you will experience blessing. Walk in the things that are wrong and you will experience curse. I was just reading in the book of Judges. That's a real pick-me-up, okay? Because it's basically... And it says, it's broken down in these repeating sections. And each section starts like this. And Israel did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Bad thing happens. They repent. And God hears them. And God restores them. We chose to do the wrong thing. We experience the weight of that. Last year at this time, we were going through the book of Proverbs. What's the book of Proverbs all about? That path leads to life. That path leads to death. Choose life. Choose life. Well, I'd like to choose this path. Can I still have life? No. Can I choose the wrong thing and it still go well? No. Choose life. 
To love people biblically means that we recognize there are things as good and there are things such as bad. And there's a tension and there's a line that's drawn. We don't celebrate what's wrong. We celebrate what is good. All right, if we were to leave it at that, some of you are saying, all right, that's plenty. That message is long enough. We can go home now. Really doesn't get to the heart of how do we live out this admonition to not celebrate what is wrong and to celebrate what is good. It might help us if we look at another chapter that's a little bit earlier in the letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay? So if you can, if you have a copy of the Bible, which is awesome, I love seeing that. I love hearing that. That's so cool. Um, if you could find an app on your phone where you could go to a Bible verse, but it still sounds like pages turning, that would be so cool. I would love that. There's just something about the sound. I don't know. I'm a dork that way. The letter of 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was struggling with leadership questions and morality questions and, and following God questions. The leaders had gone to the apostle Paul and said, hey, we got our mess. We have some questions. What about this and this and this and this? Paul writes back and forth to them to help them understand how to chase after Jesus and to be a church that honors him. Okay. The whole letter is a series of issues that he tries to press into the gospel. But there is something that's brought to his attention that blows his mind. He cannot imagine that that is happening inside of a church. I think it will also help us understand how to live out biblical love. Okay? And the tension that exists between celebrating what we should and not celebrating what we shouldn't. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let me catch up with you. I want to be there too. If you're watching online, you can open up your copy of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it starts this way. It is actually reported, meaning you didn't ask me about this. The leaders had to tell me about it. You didn't think this was an issue. You thought this was fine. But one of your leaders told me about it. This has been reported there is sexual immorality among you. Okay, that term sexual immorality, it's where we get the word pornography. It's the word pornea. It basically means all acts that are sexually inappropriate and wrong. Okay. Anything that is outside of sexual intimacy expressed between the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. It's consistent throughout all scripture. Okay. He says, there is something that falls under the category of sexually wrong, deviant, inappropriate. Okay? Among you, it means it's happening currently. This is an ongoing thing of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. He says, you've crossed a line that within the Roman culture, they say is wrong. We actually have three accounts of this. We have manuscripts of judges saying that this act is wrong. We have philosophers who say that this act is wrong. We have uh, poetics that say that this act is wrong. Okay. What is it? A man has his father's wife. Yeah, well, maybe. Don't. Don't. Don't try to fit into something that makes it more palatable and swallowable. The reason that the Apostle Paul uses this very specific language, 
his father's wife, as opposed to saying his mom or his stepmom, is because he's drawing a direct hyperlink back to the Old Testament, where in multiple cases, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it expressly says, a man shall not have his father's wife. So the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, the Roman culture thinks this is wrong. Magistrates and artists and philosophers think this is wrong. Your Bible thinks this is wrong. And it says, and you are arrogant about it. You are celebrating it. Corinth had a a motto, if you will. We live as kings, meaning we're above it all. Theologians think maybe some of this had filtered into the culture of the church, whereas they kind of says, you know what? We're free in Christ. We've moved beyond all that Jewish law stuff. We can do what we want. Let's celebrate. If anything... They had misunderstood the corporate aspect of what life is together. And there seems to be some tension so much so that the leadership brings this to Paul's attention. He's like, what should we do about it? When every time we talk about it, they almost seem to celebrate it. Like they're arrogant. Like, they, yeah, so what? What are you going to do? What's the big deal? We don't have to follow that Old Testament stuff. Look at what Paul's response is. Here's another tension that you can write down in your notes. There is mourning and there is celebrating. Mourning not as in the sun comes up in the morning, but mourning as in someone has died. Mourning. You are arrogant, he says in verse 2. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. We don't rejoice at wrongdoing, and they're rejoicing at it. Who mourns? Where do you find mourning? At a funeral, right? That's where there is mourning. That's where there is grieving. A deep level of sadness because we're in the presence of death. Something has happened that's not supposed to happen. This is not false piety. We are recognizing that sin destroys things. Sin kills things. Sin corrupts things. So the Apostle Paul says, you should be mourning over this, not celebrating it, not arrogant about it, but grieving over it. He says, let him be removed. Treat him like he's dead. Parents, This should make sense to you. You got a kid mouthing off at the table and you send him to his room? Please tell me you do that. Stop it. You do it again and you're going to your room. Absolutely, we understand that dichotomy. It's a little off to us in our self-righteousness to think that you should actually do that at an ecclesiastical level because that feels unloving. But in your loving discipline of your child, don't you do that? Go to the corner. No, I'm not talking to you. He says, remove him. You should be grieving over this. 
Are we dealing with a one-time offense? No, we read this correctly. This is an ongoing, willful disobedience to God's instruction. This act has been going on and on and on within the culture of the church. This is a willing disobedience, a continual act of defiance in the presence of God's holiness and his fellowship. This has been going on for a while. This isn't a like, oh, I made a mistake. He says, you should remove him. There is mourning. But there's another tension. There is celebrating in the life of the church. I mean, things were going real well when church started. Then I started talking and all got all jacked up and bad. But I mean, we were saying, great is the Lord. Oh, great is his faithfulness. Hallelujah, you've done great things. We gather to sing and to celebrate, don't we? We should. There is celebrating. Jesus has done great things. There is a time to sing. There's a time to rejoice. Later in this passage in verses 6 through 8, he brings up the priority of celebrating. Uh, I'll go through this passage again in a little bit. But he says, your boasting is not good, the way they're dealing with this, this, this man. He says, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. One of the things that we do when we get together uh, in a corporate experience, when we get together on Sunday mornings, why we do it regularly is to be reminded of the celebration of Christ's sacrifice, that we're free, that we are loved, that we're cherished, that sin is defeated and death is no more. There is to be celebrating. We uh, celebrate VBS. We had an amazing VBS week this week. It was phenomenal. It was awesome. I told Sonia, I mean, we had a lot of kids here. But I said, more than that, Sonia, I'm celebrating all the volunteers. We had over 43 volunteers. I know. Are you kidding? That's nuts. Most churches in the United States don't have 43 people. I'm not saying that to belittle. I'm just saying the ministry was blessed in such a way that 43 people set up and said, I'll help. And we had a good old time, didn't we? Some of the things that happened at VBS stays at VBS. You all know what I'm talking about. Well, Yeah. We'll share some more tonight, specifically um, numbers and stories, and the kids will sing. Um, but yeah, we celebrate. We celebrate baptisms. We're going to have baptisms tonight. What is baptism? Baptism is a celebration of someone moving from death to life. That's what that is. That's what it is. We celebrate. There's a reason. When someone comes up out of the water, we're like, yes, death lost. Jesus won. Yeah, there is celebrating. But walking in love with someone means that there's a tension between mourning and celebrating. Because sometimes some things you don't sing about. You don't sing about. Let's keep reading. Verses three through five. Though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present... I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you're to deliver the man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's another tension. There's flesh and there's spirit. There's flesh and there's spirit. 
Don't make the mistake as you look at the notes of thinking that one side, like underneath bad, those are all the bad words, and underneath good is all the good words. This is just a list of tension, okay? There's a list of tension. Example, as we look at these words, okay, the word flesh, it can mean like a disobedient pursuit of sin. There's an aspect of me, what the Bible calls the flesh, that chases after what is wrong. It chases after the things that it shouldn't chase after. Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans. Those things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. As I war against my flesh. Galatians is another place where you can read about that. He talks about the one who's doing such a thing with his flesh. But you can also just use the word flesh to talk about your corporal body. Physical aspect of your being. And Paul says, I'm not with you in the body, but I'm with you by the spirit. Then he says, I am asking and you ought to ask. You ought to pray that God would bring destruction against this man's body. We would give him over to Satan. And you're like, what? We're supposed to ask someone who is continually locked in, perpetuating, willful disobedience that Satan would bring destruction against this person? Yeah. Yeah. That they would feel it in their body. That God would get their attention. Any of you had your, God got your attention through your body? Anyone ever do that to you before? God got your attention and you used your body to do it? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, done to me. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Because if you didn't know this, Satan has to report to God. But there's another side of the tension. It's the spirit. Holy Spirit, he talks about, I'm with you in the spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's a connection that we have one with another. And even though I'm not with you physically, I'm with you in spirit. And I've given him over and you ought to give him over because guess what? The happiness of his flesh does not compare to the holiness of his spirit. You're all excited because he's happy in what he's doing and he's enjoying it. And he says the priority is the salvation of his spirit. That's what matters most. That's what's of most importance. That's where hope is. And that's to be our focus. He uses the word judge. Judge. To hand him over. God will use spiritual means to bring about this man's attention, repentance, and reflection. I was ministering in another church. I was part of a whole pastoral team. And it had come to our attention that a man that morning had left his wife and was going down to the city to hook up with his girlfriend. The wife called us to let us know. So the other pastor on the staff that I was with, we called him. And he actually answered the phone while he's driving down to the city to hook up with his girlfriend, having left his wife. And we pleaded and we begged. He said, what you're doing is going to destroy you. What you're doing is going to destroy your family. Stop it. Please turn around. Please turn around. Please turn around. You don't want anything to do with it. Some of the pastors in that moment, I pray you get sick. 
I pray you get so nauseous in your stomach. I pray that the attire will go off the car. I pray that God would do something that gets your attention to help you understand what it is you're doing. Click. Yeah, yeah. Our focus is the salvation of his soul. Why? Because we love him. Do you recognize the tension? We have to sometimes ask ourselves, what are we living for? Are we living for the happiness of our flesh or the holiness of our spirit? Wait, wait, I forgot. <laughs> it made it better, right? Here's another tension. Let's look at verses six through eight. Your boasting is not good. Interesting. We got the word arrogance. We have the word boasting. What's he going to talk about a little bit later in this book? Love is not those things. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. How many of you are like, what? What? All right, how many bakers do we have here? You like to bake and you're good at it. Go ahead, own it, own it. I just want to know who to call because I homemade bread, that, that's good stuff. So this is a culture where how often do you think they're baking bread? All the time, every day. No one's running down to DG to pick up a loaf of Wonder Bread. It ain't happening. If you want bread, it's because we're making bread on a regular basis. How do you bake bread? Okay. A little bit of flour, a little bit of water, a little bit of salt, and a starter. What's a starter? Take equal parts, water and flour. You're going to set it out in the open so that it will collect yeast. And the yeast begins to interact with the sugars. And it's going to get all bubbly and frothy and proof, and it's going to become what they call sponge. You're going to take some of that, and you incorporate that to make dough. And it will proof and rise, and you have bread. But what you also do is you take a little bit of that and you save it for tomorrow so that you can restart tomorrow's loaf. Okay. Did I do that right, Karen? All right. Thank you for not saying no. It's like, you got that so wrong. <laughs> you take a little bit and save it for tomorrow. You would do this on a daily basis. There are people, there are artisans throughout Europe that are espousing, we've been using the same starter for the last hundred years. There are ministries and programs where you can swap starters all over the country. Okay, is this is really cool, awesome thing. It makes bread really good bread. But in this Mediterranean desert, Middle Eastern culture, you keep taking a little bit from yesterday and passing it on tomorrow. A year into that, it can kind of get sandy and dirty and gritty and gross. And so in the Jewish culture, in the new year, what they call Passover, all the old is thrown away and you get rid of that starter and you start fresh. Literally, there is no old leaven that is paid forward. They start new. You come to the New Testament where Christ who is our Passover lamb, what's the apostle Paul teaching us here? We are new in Christ Nothing from the old is paid forwards. 
So there's a tension. There's a tension between the past and the present. Let's write that down. There's a tension between the past and the present. The past is slavery and it's Egypt and it's bondage and it's chains. It's oppression and it's malice and it's sin and it's evil. And in Passover, none of that comes forward because we are completely set free because of God's act of deliverance. We're in the present now underneath Jesus' sacrifice where we're delivered from the past and we celebrate in sincerity and truth. We are made new. With that in mind, let me read this passage again. See if it sits a little bit better, okay? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay, that little bit, the starter that goes in. Okay. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Tension is living in the present. Tension is living on this side of what Christ has sacrificed. On this side of our decision to follow him. On this side of our baptism. Sometimes do we get pulled back? Yeah. So what does devoted love do? Hey, come on. That's not us anymore. We've been set free. We've been set free. The tension of past and present. Another tension. Look at verses 9 through 13. I'll give you, one, I'll give you another one. 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Sexually immoral people, same thing. Anything outside the covenant relationship of intimacy between a husband and a wife. Okay? Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. Okay, hold on to that one. Or the greedy swindlers, adulterers. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or adulterer, or revile. Reviler is anyone who's abusive or an abusive relationship. Drunkard, swindler, cheating. Not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Another tension. There's outside and there's inside. There's outside and there's inside. There's outside. There's the world. Whom God, God holds account for choosing death, for choosing sin, for not following Christ. Outside of the baptismal waters, outside of the relationship with God, there is outside. There is inside. Inside. Those who hold to him. Those who follow after him. And he says, he's going to say this in a little bit in another chapter. He says, you used to be on the outside. This is who you used to be. And he's going to relive this list. Let me read it for you. This is chapter 6, verses 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterers, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. That's the tank where we do the washing right there, okay? There's the sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You were outside. You've been brought inside. There's a difference. God judges this part. We as church people love to judge this part. Makes us feel good. We make posters and hand out mailers and stick stuff on people's windshields because we love judging this part. And Paul said, you need to be dealing with your house. You need to be dealing with what's going on inside. You need to be holding each other accountable out of devotion and love to how we're living out the gospel, walking in a way that's worthy of the gospel. You used to be this, but remember there's a past and there's a present. Inside, holding the brother, where the goal is repentance and restoration and salvation in the presence of someone who is willingly committing disobedience. One more tension at the bottom. There's purity and there's unity. There's purity and there's unity. There's a tension there. Purity. The holiness of the fellowship. Later in the New Testament, you use words like temple and the body of Christ. So he says, purge, cleanse. but not at the exception of unity. Brother, patience, kindness. But unity, not the expense of purity. Oh, you feel that one? Welcome to my world. Can you feel that? The tension between purity and unity. It means we go real slow with people. Real slow with people. You have to discern. Am I dealing with a sin committed or someone's commitment to sin? Am I dealing with someone's sin that they committed or are they committed to sin? Uh, Illustrate it. Someone comes to me, ah, Pastor Paul, I got drunk last night. I know. I saw it on Facebook. (laughs) To be perfectly honest, I am tired of seeing your alcoholic shenanigans on Facebook. That's not a joke. Pastor Paul, I'm sorry. It's wrong. I know. I forgive you. I love you. How can I help you? Dude, before you do that, would you call me? Just call me, man. Don't go there. Don't hang out there. Just call me. Right? Or call one of the other elders. Or call one of your sisters in the faith. Just, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're going to kick me out of the church? I'm not going to kick you out of the church. Why would I kick you out of the church? We fail. We falter. We trip. We're weak. We're fallen. I love you. Let me help you. Thank you for telling me. Thank you so much for telling me. Verses. 
it's someone's goal to go out and habitually get hammered every Friday night who cannot make it through the evening until as soon as they walk in the door and they grab their cube of and they hit 24 before they pass out on the couch and they're destroying their marriage and they're setting a terrible example for their kids. And no matter how many times I say and I pray and I confront, mind your own business, pastor. There's a difference. You see the difference. Let me illustrate it again. Sin committed versus commitment to sin. Pastor, please help me. We had sex. We're not married. And it's killing me. Versus someone who's living in perpetual fornication, adultery, immorality. And you're not going to tell them what to do. See the tension? talk about idolatry. I'm just picking the ones that are out of the list. I mean, they're right here. And I'm not making it. I'm not cherry picking you guys. I'm just saying it's right here. I'm just, this is how much this book applies to our culture. Idolatry. Uh, where, where do we often succumb to idols in this culture? Uh, kids and sports. Some of y'all worship your kids. Some of y'all worship sports. Meaning you put the whims and the will and the wants of your kids ahead of what God says. You put the will and the whim of your sports team ahead of what God says. I, I, I understand that. I feel the tension. But there's a point where you come to as a parent and say, whoa, 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 I'm going to do this differently. Or I need to arrest this. Or I need to change. Versus, no, oh, everything's fine. It'll all work out great. No matter how many times a loving brother or sister comes alongside and says, hey, dude, you're creating monsters out there. Dude, that's not going to fulfill you. That's not going to help you. Sin committed versus a commitment to sin. Paul, you guys are kicking people out of the church? that's kind of judgmental. That's kind of legalistic. I left churches over that. No. No. But imagine, if you will, that you're standing in your kitchen. Okay? You're washing dishes at the dishwasher. Okay? Because that's what you do. You wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. I love you, girl. And your teenage daughter or your teenage son walks in, he grabs a butter knife. What are you doing with the butter knife? Oh, I was going to go to my bedroom. I'm going to go put it in the electrical outlet. <laughs> well, I love you. And I support you. And I'm with you. That's not love. How is that love? Give me that. Stay off of TikTok. <laughs> right? Right? What you're looking at in chapter 5, had the Apostle Paul been there, is probably months of process of walking alongside of somebody. Okay? And that's what it would look like here. Repentance is to be happening on a regular basis as we walk alongside one another in love. Hey, can we talk about this? Hey, we need to talk about it again. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what? Can we please? Dude, this is affecting you. It's affecting the fellowship. It's affecting your marriage. Children get this. This makes sense to kids. Right? Let me illustrate it for you. You see all those plates over there? Okay? VBS workers, don't talk. You see all those plates? 
There's over 700 of them right there. Those represent what our VBS kids did this week. Uh, Acts of kindness, bringing a Bible, bringing a friend, uh, memorizing a Bible verse, participation. Okay, over 700 of them showed up doing amazing things. Last week, Sonia and I were thinking, is there a way that we can challenge the kids to do these things that are so important? What's important? Reaching out to family members, bringing Bibles, memorizing scripture, important disciplines. Amen? Amen. Awesome. I'll tell you what, Sonia, if they do 160 of them, they can slime me. I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to do 160. Well, you can see they did over 700. So to kind of help spur things on, Maddie and I were talking. He says, what if we took a picture of me stealing plates off the wall? <laughs> Pastor Paul caught taking VBS plates. Just a sight gag. Just a joke. Sonia came in the beginning of VBS. I can't remember if it was Wednesday or Thursday. You're not going to believe this. We caught Pastor Paul. He was trying to take plates off the wall. No. Yes, he was. I walked in the room. <gasps> Tony Baldorf's granddaughter walked up. She wouldn't even talk to me. It's like, I felt the conviction of the spirit, man. I didn't do anything. But I'm like, oh, man. One young man walks up to me. You are not a holy man. And to go back, it's, it was just kidding. He didn't take any plates. But for days afterwards, they were calling me out. They were calling me out. I had done something wrong. And rightfully so. Why is it kids get this? But why is it for some of us, the older we get, the more childish we will act? How dare you call me out? Even though it's out of tremendous love and compassion and grace. I cannot, the people in my own life, a loving wife, a loving friends, elders, individuals in my past who came up to me, Paul, can we talk about this, please? I need to talk to you, man. Because they were devoted to my holiness. They were devoted to my ministry. They loved me. Did it feel like it at the time? No, it didn't feel like it at all. But there's a tension in love. There's a tolerance. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. In Psalm 32, David reflects back on a sinful decision that he chose to live in and the confrontation of a prophet that came to speak to him about it. And this is how he writes about the experience of how God treated him. This is Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. Why would you want someone to live in that? For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. That's how God treated David. Because God loved him. Because God loved him.
for you today? There's a couple ways that this could maybe be applied. As you saw that list in there, maybe some of those things rattled in your heart a little bit. You feel the spirit pressing upon you out of love and devotion and commitment to you. That's good. Thank God for that. That's the Holy Spirit grabbing hold of your conscience. Maybe that needs to turn into an act of repentance or maybe it's sitting down with a brother and sister. Will you pray for me, please? Will you help me? What I've been doing, what we've been doing is wrong. Or maybe it's going up and talking to a loved one. Maybe you thought that it was your job to keep quiet and that's love. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.